The staff and administration that we work with, I guarantee none of them slept last night. Hi, I'm Isabel Rogol, and this is Borderline. I don't have a full-length interview for you today. I'm working on a few things for the coming days, but I wanted to make an emergency pod to talk about something that went down in the U.S. yesterday. I've asked Jamie Conkey to come back and give us a quick update. I'll be honest, this episode comes from a place of rage, and I'll tell you a bit more about that later, but let's hear from Jamie first. Hi, Jamie. Hi. Twice on the pod in in four episodes, you're becoming a a regular. (laughs) I feel very blessed. Can you give me a bit of a summary of of what it is that ICE just announced for international students in the U.S.? Yes. So yesterday, SEVP, which is the Student Exchange Visitor Program, basically adjusted their regulations. If you recall earlier in the spring, when a lot of universities were having to close down, they made some exceptions for students who are currently here. They made some allowances for them to take courses online and things that normally, under normal circumstances, wouldn't be allowed. So essentially, they're reverting back to the way things were. So they're basically saying that the students attending schools who are going purely online, completely online, they need to go home. They cannot enter the United States. So that means incoming students who are coming in to attend those types of schools are not able to enter. They're not going to be able to get visas. And if you're already here in the States and you're doing purely online, you're going to have to leave the United States. The other thing that they said was basically, if you're going to a school that's offering a hybrid model this fall, a majority of your courses do need to be taken in person. This part's a little bit vague, and, and I think a lot of schools are waiting for a little bit more clarity on exactly what that means. The tricky part here, I think, is that SEVP has also stated if a school ends up changing to online classes in the middle of the semester. So if we get a second surge in the middle of the semester and the schools have to close down again. So we have another situation like we did in in March, April, May this year, that essentially the students will need to either leave the country or they'll need to transfer to another school who's offering in-person instruction. That's sort of the main thing. There's some issues with students who left uh, who left the country, understandably, this spring because of the pandemic. There's going to be issues with them getting back. Their immigration status may be terminated if the courses are not being offered in person, that kind of thing. So it's a mess. <laughs> so <laughs> concretely, what are students, what do they have to do? Let's start with people who are in the U.S. right now and expecting Mm -hmm. to continue their education and their school is going online only because Mm. we just heard that Harvard is going online only for all of the next school year, including 2021. That's right. It's not just a few people that we're talking about. No, it could be a very significant chunk of students. For students who are currently here, they're going to need to be in touch with their designated school officers. Those are the people who sign off on their immigration papers. They're going to need to check in with those with those people on their campuses to find out, is my course load going to meet SEVP's requirements? And I say that with a small caveat of asking the impossible, which is for patients for, on, on the student's part. I know this is a scary 
time, but these schools are, the universities were just hit with this yesterday. So they themselves are reeling from this information and trying to figure out what that means for each of their specific programs on their campuses, what they can do, if they can make any adjustments between now and August to meet requirements, to make it okay for, I mean, gosh, this is a really tight timeline for answers. The schools are scrambling. Undeniably, they are all scrambling right now. Yeah, we're essentially talking about five, six, seven weeks. The U.S. administration is essentially telling a lot of people, just go home. Go home. And can they? Where can they go? Right. And and even if there aren't travel restrictions, it's pretty scary to fly right now. I could see how some kids would not want to. Yeah, it would be terrifying to fly. And also expensive potentially you know the u.s is not running a lot of flights to a lot of places yeah i I wonder what it means long term for these kids education Mm -hmm. do people pick it up again if they've had to give it up for however many months or or a year Mm -hmm. there are time zones there are you know not everyone has broadband back home to be able to attend classes Mm -hmm. yeah that's exactly right and i think these are the things that weren't really thought about when making this decision or they didn't care i don't know there's a lot of speculation as you can imagine in the higher ed space about this being the administration sort of forcing a university's hands in in the president's tweet last night that schools must open in the fall certainly i would say supports that theory is it that the trump administration wants to give the message that things are okay, things are back to normal, and therefore the old rules apply again when it comes to visas? I mean, I am not going to, for a moment, pretend to understand anything that comes out of them. But but yeah, that, that certainly seems to be what the takeaway is, I think. Basically, if you don't open, we're going to punish you by getting rid of your international students. Right. And we talked about the last time I had you on the pod, how much international students mean to American universities. And so what does this decision mean for for them, for their decisions for the fall, for their financial model? Oh, gosh. To, To put it into perspective, I mean, last year alone, international students brought in $41 billion. And that supports like almost half a million jobs in the United States, a lot of which have been impacted by this already. You know, you've got faculty and staff members on furlough and taking pay cuts and things like that all over the country already. And that was with the hope of things going back to normal in the fall. It's a pretty dire situation for a lot of institutions. Readjusting your entire university's policy to offer a handful of in-person courses that's not a small thing. I'm just not sure how how they're going to manage. I'll be incredibly impressed with any universities able to pivot in the short amount of time to to sort of meet their students' needs. But I know they're all trying. I wonder if they should even, because if you're making a decision based on public health to to go online only, you're doing it for a reason. Mm -hmm. And so... Essentially, you have educators in a position to have to choose between the deportation or the possible illness or death of their Mm -hmm. students and of their staff. 
That's a terrible choice. It's a terrible choice. There's all these things floating around students saying, like, if you have to sign a waiver for your life to attend courses, is this is this really worth it? There's, you know, universities taking out insurance policies. There's universities asking for government protection from lawsuits. What a wild, crazy time. I don't envy students right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I wonder if there will, you know, there will be lawsuits. I mean, the problem is it is the rule, right? You can't yep. go to the U.S. if you're just taking online classes. Yeah, um, it was always that way. You could always take like one class online, mm -hmm. but it couldn't be a majority. You know, and that makes sense because you're here for an experience, not to sit on a laptop and do your coursework like that. I totally get that. Yeah, and I could totally um, see how the system would be abused by fly-by-night schools that essentially are just selling visas. So it makes sense if it weren't for coronavirus, yeah. which is a, a pretty big if. Right, that's a huge, <laughs> a huge if. And I was just reading, actually, that the Australian government is looking at doing the opposite. And you can't accuse the current Australian <laughs> government of being a wide leftist, open borders kind of administration. But they're actually looking at giving online students more rights including mm -hmm. post-study work rights in order yeah. to increase the appeal of Australian universities and, and bring those foreign tuition dollars to Australia so there's yep. competition and there there are countries adopting a very absolutely. different approach absolutely and Canada did something similar counting those online courses and the years taken online counting towards permits and things like that in the future. You hate to call it opportunistic, but they, they are making allowances and uh, where the United States is not, is, is actively, in fact, doing the opposite. So there's been quite a bit of backlash since this came out yesterday. Is there a chance that they back off, that this was just a, you know, poorly thought out, slapped together mm -hmm. policy and with all the feedback that they got, things change mm -hmm. or is this set and done i certainly hope that it was done sloppily and that it can be walked back there's some petitions already going around there's a lot of pushes to call your congress people i don't know how far reaching that is i, I can tell you in my circles which is most higher ed people it sounds very loud but i don't know if that's big enough to, to move a mountain here well thanks so much Jamie for for this update and making yourself available so last minute do you have yeah. parting words of encouragement for students I would just say if you're at a U.S. institution right now if you're in the country or if you're back home and you're listening to this I would say just you couldn't have a better group of people working to advocate for you everything I've I've seen being done right now on behalf of international students it's really moving. I don't know that it'll be enough, but I know that people are fighting for you right now. All right. Well, we certainly will be at least very vocal. I think that's the best thing that we can do right now. Immigrants have always been an easy punching ball. In an us versus them world, them, we, can't fight back. If immigrants were a country, We'd be the fourth largest in the world, but we largely don't get to vote where we live. A 
constituency of 272 million people without representation. Kids had usually been spared from all that. After all, they're not taking anyone's job, and foreign students tend to spend more than they collect, but not anymore. I spent most of the day reading stories about how migrants have been treated in this pandemic around the world, and that's where the rage comes from. In the US, it's students, yes, but also workers on H-1B and other visas. It's migrants forgoing their legal right to appeal and opting for deportation rather than risking death from COVID-19 in detention centers. In Singapore, it's migrant dormitories where people are packed together and more than 90% of the country's COVID-19 cases have occurred. It's foreign workers losing their work visa and being deported within 24 hours for minor quarantine violations when nationals only receive small fines. In Europe, it's people stuck for days and weeks on boats in the Mediterranean, driven to despair and suicide because no one will let them dock. In the UK, it's a bone-chilling story came out this morning of subcontracted cleaners in the Ministry of Justice, all of them immigrants, forced to continue going to work during the lockdown with no protection, no instruction, no sick leave even for those with symptoms, and no compassion. Two men died. Look, I'm agnostic about immigration levels. There is a reasonable case to be made to have less of it listen to last week's episode for that. But what there is never a reasonable case for is treating people like dirt. People who have come in good faith to our countries to study, to work, to sit our children, to clean the offices of our very own governments. We have work to do. A link to all of those stories in a newsletter you can subscribe at borderlinepod.com. Thank you for listening and I'll talk to you next week.